0: So earlier in the week, I was, we're, I was driving my little son, Mason, um, he's nine, and uh, so he's in the back seat, and we're driving along, and we're talking about, <clears throat> somehow we got on the topic of leadership, but like being a boss, and he wants to, you know, be a boss, and in different all different areas of his life. If you know him, that you understand. Yes, that's Mason to a T. And uh, so we were talking about being the boss, and he asked me, um, <clears throat> "Are you the boss at at church at Generations?" And I said, "No, Jesus is our, Jesus is the boss at church." And he was like, "Okay." Um, he was asking. He said, well, "Are you you're the boss at home?" And I said, "No, mommy's the boss at home." <laughs> but. Which she keeps telling me, but yeah, um, which made me think of a joke. I'm, and I'm I'm promised I'm, I'm not going to turn into come up and tell a joke guy, but I have to tell this joke because this was a good one. So <clears throat> a bunch of people went to heaven, um, and they were uh, sorting them out. You know, at the the gates, how you do? You sort them out, and uh, they they took the ladies off in one direction kind of for orientation, and they took the men over here into orientation. And so the men walk in to this big room, and uh, St. Peter gets up there, and he says, uh, okay, guys, now, uh, how many of you are, were, were married down on earth? And all these guys in the room raised their hand. He said, all right, <clears throat> I want you to form two lines. I want all the men who were the boss of their home, you get in this line. And all the men who weren't the boss of your home, you didn't take charge. You get in this line. There's this mass exodus over here into this line over here. These men, they were, they were not the boss. There's one guy over here in this line. One guy. And, and St. Peter's just shaking his head. He's like, I am, I am so disappointed, men. I'm telling you what. Look at this. This is just pathetic you guys didn't take charge of your home. You weren't, you know, look at this one man, this one hero here. Sir, explain to all these men, what was, what was your secret for being the boss of your home? Tell everybody. And everybody's listening really intently. The guy stands up. He says, I don't really know. My wife just told me to get in this line. <laughs> <clears throat> so. so there we go. Okay. All right, joke time's over. Serious business, people. <laughs> All right, we got, we got business to take care of. Hallelujah. All right. Amen, amen. It's a new year. You know, last, uh, we, we just came out of a <clears throat> of a really good uh, series that was a blessing to me. I hope it was a blessing to you, our Advent Conspiracy Series. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we were talking about doing Christmas differently because Christmas could be one of the most uh, stressful times of the year, right? For a lot of people, for, for, for most people. We talked about doing Christmas differently, and I hope it gave you an opportunity to do that. And now as we hit 2017, many of you, if you're like me, you're already feeling the old complexities and busyness, chaos of life coming back. Coming back on you, right? New year, new problems, and you feel that pressure, trying to overwhelm the new year, and and some of the feedback we've been getting, like from our home life groups, is yeah, this is this is kind of the message. People are like, yeah, that Advent was great, but now I got to face the new year, and. And we've got a lot of things that we want to accomplish this year. There's a lot of things that I believe, I believe that God is taking, uh, directions God is taking our church this year, some fresh new places that I'm very excited about. But if you're like me, I, I know myself, I need to not just survive this year. I want to thrive this year. Is that anybody? You don't just want to survive another year. You want to thrive this year. And, and somehow we need to carry that revolutionary attitude of, you know, Advent, Uh, that God invited us to, to carry that into the new year as well, and not just do Christmas differently and then go back to this chaotic, frustrating, kind of normal world of post-Christmas, but I need to allow God to make space in my soul. Anybody else feel like that? I need to do more than just make some more New Year's resolutions, which, you know, it's good to make, and I hope you you make some goals, uh, I need to do more than just try to pack more and more work, more stuff into this year, try to, try to achieve more. I need first to do some decluttering, right? Decluttering of the soul. Um, if I'm going to be a better disciple this year, a disciple that makes disciples this year than ever before, you know what, something's got to give. Has anybody ever like went and bought a new living room suit and you brought it home and you had no place to put it? No, you don't do that, right, because you you declutter first, right? You get rid of the stuff. You make some room. You make some room for the new pretty stuff, the better stuff. And I need God to start my year this way by ushering me towards simplicity, simplicity, simplicity of focus, simplicity of my soul. Now, what often happens in this kind of conversation is what what we work at is achieving simplicity from the outside in meaning we we talk about things like materialism or or, uh, decluttering our home, how we manage our finances, how we manage our stuff, our schedules, our time, and all that stuff is very important and is going to come into play during this series uh, that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. But primarily where my heart is, is I realize that I need to learn simplicity from the inside out, not the outside in. Right? For it to be lasting. For not to be another resolution that's not going to go anywhere by the time we're in February. Um, how many of you know, and I imagine some of you ladies do. Maybe some of you really cultured men out there. This popular idea going around the blogosphere um, right now is the KonMari method. Raise your hand. Have you heard of the KonMari method? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. My wife's got me all on this, you know, and, and it's really, it's this method of uncluttering your home and like your stuff and kind of like getting rid of all the extra stuff you got in your house and your clothes and furniture and things like that. And basically kind of the, uh, what it boils down to is the motto of the, the KonMari method is, is, does it give you joy? right? Does it give you joy? If it doesn't give you joy, get rid of it. Does it give, and, and so it's, it's really great with clothes and all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, to achieve lasting joy, because really our, our clothes, whether you like them or not, shouldn't be what gives us joy. To achieve lasting joy in our life, to achieve effectiveness for the kingdom, which hopefully is what we, we want here if we're believers in this room, we want to be effective for the kingdom, to be more like Jesus, to be disciples who make disciples, to be that, to be, to be a community where no one walks alone, do we want to be that? Amen. That's what we want to be. What we need is simplicity from the inside out. Simplicity from the inside out. Something's got to give. Okay? Simplicity of, of thought, simplicity of soul. Uh, Pastor Bill Heibel said this Simplified living requires more than just organizing your closets or cleaning out your desk drawer, it requires uncluttering your soul. Uncluttering your soul. So, what is it like to declutter our minds, so that we have a simple focus this year? We can we can live at a different pace mentally and spiritually. How many of you could use that this year? Amen. And as I began to look into this, I began to pay attention to what some of the, the what the scriptures say, and different writers uh, and thinkers have said. You know that have kind of mined this this topic, and I've realized that this is an area that I think I only. Not only need for myself, but I think this is essential for us as a church, if we're going to flow successfully this year to where God wants to bring us. Uh, How many of you know there's a whole lot of sideways energy you can spend every single day? By that, I mean stuff that, like, you're working, you're doing stuff, maybe you're accomplishing, you're marking things off the list. At the end of the day, you don't feel like you really got anywhere further in life. You didn't really accomplish anything that furthered the world helped anyone, didn't further the gospel, you just were busy. You were just successful at being busy. That's sideways energy. And we can be that way as a church. Do you know that? We can get busy. We can do all kinds of stuff, right, and, and feel really good and do all, all kinds of things. But what we want to do, what we want to do are the things that help change the world and help grow us up and make us more like Jesus, right? We want to grow, we want to become these disciples who make disciples, we want to be a place where nobody walks alone, we want to reach out and take the gospel all around the world, these wonderful works that uh, Pastor Albert was just telling us about all around, these are, these are the important things, right? And there's things that, that are just sideways energy, they're urgent, they might be, even be interesting, but at the end of the day, no one around you is really better for it. You're just spent and used up and uh, you haven't gotten any closer to where your goals were that morning. Now, the, the person that we really crave to be like is who? Jesus. We want to be like Jesus, right? We want to be like Jesus. And so it would really help us a bunch, I think, when we're talking about this subject or any subject, if we could get into Jesus' mindset, if, if we could think like Jesus, right? If, if we could think more and more like him. And one of his... Letters to the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Everybody, some, some of you have seen this scripture before? What he's doing here is quoting Isaiah. This is a, a scripture from Isaiah, where Isaiah said this 700 years earlier. Now, when Isaiah said this, this was the end of the discussion. That's what Isaiah said. Who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Later. That was it. It, You know, that was all there was to the conversation. God's high. He's far above us. You can't know his thoughts. You can't know him. You can't possibly know his mind. You don't really know what's going on. Oh, well, too bad. But Paul does something shocking in his letter. He quotes Isaiah, and then he adds some new information onto this famous Old Testament statement. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. Whoa. Now imagine being the first person who ever read this. Whoa, really? Because everybody would know what he was talking about. You know, They, they knew their, their good Jewish Bible. Who's known the mind of the Lord so we can instruct them? Yeah, but we have the mind of Christ? What? Really? Scripture tells us this mind of Christ is available to us. See, so we're not just dealing with this unseen, mysterious God beyond the stars that we can't have a relationship with. He's just doing his own thing. He just gives us a command every once in a while. That's not who we're dealing with anymore. Now, we can ask the incredible. We can say, how did Jesus think? Because God became man, and he walked the earth, right? So we can ask, how did God think when he was wearing skin and walking around? We have a record see of his life. We have record of Jesus' life. We have clues in scriptures. We want to learn from these. We want to have this kind of know what what the internal world of of Jesus, as much as possible. So we're going to look at the book of John today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. In John chapter 1, there's these four little words that are very important to us today, and really they're going to kind of form the bedrock for, for the next few weeks. John the Baptist is talking, or he's he's the one this story starts out to be about. He's he's a man who was born uh, within months of Jesus. In fact, they were cousins, John the Baptist and Jesus. They were cousins, kind of born around the same time, and John had his own ministry, and he kind of got a head start in, uh, before Jesus came on the scene. And so John makes his whole purpose in life to go around and preach and prepare people's hearts for the arrival of Jesus, for his his cousin Jesus. And so we get to John 1, verse 35, it says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. He has his own posse, right? And they're preaching and doing stuff. And he sees Jesus passing by, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 37, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So these are two disciples of of John. A couple of Jesus' disciples came from John's group. They were with John, then they see Jesus passing by, and they're like, we're going to join him. And John doesn't, you know, he doesn't get upset. He releases them because he's not there to take center stage, the spotlight. So these guys start following Jesus. Now look at verse 38. Jesus is walking around, and he, he saw them following and asked, What do you want? This is a powerful question. Now Jesus isn't just like trying to blow them off like, What do you guys want? Right? No, no, no. He's asking them, What do you want? And what Jesus is doing here is setting the stage for discipleship. What do you want? What do you want out of life? Right now, what are your desires leading you? What do you want? Is the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. His first words of this Gospel What do you want? John, of course, he's the ultimate sort of philosophical historian. You know, his book is different from all the other Gospels. And and so he chooses his words very carefully. He chooses this moment carefully to to open Jesus' scene. Because answering that question is our starting place with Jesus, all of us. To hear Jesus say to us and to to consider our answer very carefully, what do you want? So let's start right there. What do you want? why are you here? Why are you at church today? Or why are you listening to the podcast right now? What do you want? What are you hoping to get out of this? You want to learn stuff? You want to get more out of life than just learning stuff? Getting smarter? Right? What do you want? Tell me what you want. What you really, really want. To quote the Spice Girls. (laughs) Do you want happiness? Is it joy you're after? Is it satisfaction? Is it delight? Is it security? Prosperity? Is it a sense of well-being? What is it that you want from Jesus? Here's something I find really interesting, okay? Um, If we see Jesus as as the one who calls us into spiritual life and health and all that good stuff. And that's good for us, right? But that's all that we see in Jesus. We, we'll tend to see Jesus as something that's good for us uh, in the same way that kale is good for us, <laughs> right? But it's not very tasty. Um, you know, gosh, is it boring. You know, you just, uh, we drink these raw green drinks, you know, when on, on the Everyone like a couple days a a month. I try to be healthy, and hopefully it makes up for all the other breakfast tacos. But you know, we uh, but we drink these raw drinks, and and inevitably it's all the kale has to go in, right? Because they tell us on TV that it's amazing. Um, So hopefully it's doing something, but it tastes so boring, right? And and so some of us have this like like idea, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but I mean, I also want to have some fun, right? That's not outlandish. I want to follow Jesus. I want to have some fun. I want to have a good life. I want to have some joy, right? And so we start to look elsewhere for that. We look elsewhere because we don't think that Jesus is the source of all joy. He's good for you, but you have to go somewhere else to get some flavor in your life, you know? Uh, And so what, what happens is now I have a divided mind I have divided attentions. I'm, I'm following Jesus, but I'm also have, I also have to follow something else a little bit in order to have some fun. But what if Jesus really is the source, not only of what's good for us, but turns out what's good for us is also to enjoy life? What if? And see, Jesus knows this, that there, there's no distinction necessary between joy and, and Jesus, we don't need a distinction. What's good for you or what's fun, what's healthy or what tastes good, right? By the way, if you know what that food is, let me know, right? What's healthy and what tastes good. Uh, but, but spiritually speaking, it's very possible. Jesus is the whole package. He's the, the healthiest health food and the tastiest treat. He's the whole enchilada, right? And so if that's the case, then I can stop being divided in my loyalties, see, I don't have to choose what to give my life to today. I don't have to go, well, is today about serving the Lord or being a husband and a father? I don't have to choose. Is today about loving others or having some fun with my friends? Uh, No. See, I can give my whole life and every day to Christ because that's what he teaches us, right? He teaches us this. I mean, he he, he says things like die to self, pick up... The, your cross. Follow him completely. But don't you think he also wants his followers, just like a father loves his children, to enjoy life, to be happy, right? See, I've, I've got these two beautiful sons, and, you know, my desire for them is, you know, I want, yes, I want them to be good people. Uh, I, w- I want happiness for my, for my children, but I don't want them to be good and miserable, you know, I want them to be good and joyful. You know, I don't want them to be miserable people. God even said this in, the, in Scripture. He said, he said, look, by comparison to me, your love is evil because God's so holy and perfect. His love is perfect. So he said, you know, guys, even the best parents on the earth, compared to me, your love is evil. And even you know how to give a good gift to your child. You're not going to give him a stone, Right? You're going to give them good things. And you love your children, you're going to give them good things, right? So we can say, God's will, your will, Jesus, is all that I want. I'll, all I want is your will today. And that allows us, see, to have simplicity of mind, allows us to have peace, that, that mind and peace, and that clear undivided focus, We can have a clear, undivided focus in this world that's full of chaos, right? And that focus actually becomes our joy. Having that clear, undivided focus becomes our joy. It becomes our delight. You don't need Jesus plus anything. Jesus can do it all for us, all right? Jesus can do it all for us, all right? Let's come at this from a different direction. As human beings, we're, we're hardwired a certain way. We were created this way. God made us this way. We are hardwired. We're driven by desires. All of us have desires in this room. Good desires, unhealthy desires. Our desires are all over the place, right? We have wants, we're naturally moving towards something. Uh, e- economists will tell you, and sociologists and social economists will tell you, that, that basically the thing that makes the world go around is this concept of incentive. That's the reason why anybody does anything. It comes down to incentive. Which choice did you have more of incentive to do? Right? That's why we make any choice. It comes down to these desires. We're, we're naturally moving towards something. The writer, James K.A. Smith, Uh, he says this, to be human is to be for something, directed towards something, oriented towards something. To be human is to be on the move, pursuing after something. We are like existential sharks. My new favorite quote, by the way. Existential sharks. I'm getting that on a t-shirt. We have to move to live right cuz there are these certain species of sharks that have to move to breathe right they can stop for a second but then they're not breathing they have to get going again in order to breathe we are like existential sharks we have to move to live that's us right we have to move towards something we're always le- we're always leaning into something okay we're headed somewhere it's how we're wired and it's how Jesus begins he says what do you want what are you leaning into? What are you moving towards? What is it you're wanting out of this? And so we as, our, as human beings, this is just natural, we tend to find meaning even in what we're headed towards. It's how we define ourselves, right? Right? We, we don't always define ourselves as where we're at right now, right? Sometimes if someone asks, tell me a little bit about you, what do you'll do? You'll, you'll tell them, I am going to school for this. I'm going to be this. Or I am training to do this. Or I'm doing this right now, but it's not really what I want to do. Because what I really want to do is this. Right? We're always really quick to say that. Right? Right now, I'm just, I'm just kind of doing this to pay the bills. But what I really want to do is this. We're all, that's how we define ourselves. What we want. What we're trying to get to. What we love. What we love. See, love, we talked about this a little bit last week uh, with Melissa up here. That love's not just a feeling, it's not just a, a thinking thing. It, real love is a willing thing. Love is fueled by what you will, by what you want out of a relationship. St. Augustine said a long time ago God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. We're restless existential sharks, until we can find rest in you. we got to be somewhere. We all need to get somewhere we're restless just being still. We're created for God. Every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, whether we even believe in God or not, the fact is he believes in you, and you were created for him. And so you are going to have this restlessness. We're, all, and we're always pursuing that fulfillment, whether we realize it or not. But see, if we don't focus ourselves, if we don't recognize it and focus ourselves on that ultimate need in us that is for God, what do we do? We start reaching out in all kinds of different directions, a lot of different things to satisfy our longing, and we live these chaotic lives, right, unfocused lives. So Augustine, he did some other cool things. He he was actually a pretty clever guy. He um, used really simple things as an example for people. He said, for instance, if I have this rock, let's say I have a rock, and he, held, he holds up a rock, and he says, uh, the rock wants, it desires to fall to the earth. It wants to get to the earth, right? It wants to fall downwards as soon as it possibly can. As soon as you release your hand, that's where it wants to get to. But he says, if I watch a fire, what I see, I watch the sparks, and the sparks want To go heavenward, they want to rise up. It's where and and things are not at rest until they get to where they want to go, right? If you ever mix oil and water together in in, you know in a pitcher or something like that, if you have oil on the bottom and you pour water into it, they're going to like fight each other and cross and mix until they can get to where they want to go. The water wants to get down here, and the oil wants to get on up here, right? And they will pass right through each other to get where they want to go. So we're similar to these things. We, we're, we're always yearning to get where we want to go. We want to get where we're supposed to be. And, and until then, we're these restless things, these yearning, moving things. And, and that where we're supposed to be place is God. We're supposed to be in his presence, following his will, right? That's where we're, it's, it's simple focus. You ever try to hold a, hold a beach ball underwater? like in a pool or in the ocean or something, you hold it underwater and it's fighting you, right? And then it comes up and smacks you in the face. <laughs> Flies with you, right? It, it wants to get out of that water. It wants to fly out really bad. And if we don't acknowledge where that is and have that simplicity of focus to move in that direction, we're, we're gonna live frustrated lives, reaching out to lots of different things and, and our minds and our souls are gonna feel very cluttered. We're gonna, it, it, It's gonna be a, at war with our nature and that's how we'll live. Psalms. The writer says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. That's where my soul wants to be. My soul pants for God. And I could try to uh, satisfy that with a whole lot of different things, but it's not going to quench my thirst, right? My soul pants for Him. That's what it means to be humans, to have our wants, our desires, our will, our loves, reaching out in the direction of God. Aligning our thoughts and our desires with the thoughts and desires of Jesus. And if we'll learn that, we're going to be a lot happier. We're going to be a lot more at peace. Be a lot more productive. Right? I know this is kind of a, sounds like kind of an esoteric message. But, but really, I think this is kind of the bedrock for where we want to go this year. I think this is important that we, we establish this right now. Or else the rest of the year is just going to feel like a lot of business. It's going to feel like more stuff, right? Or more messages, more sermons. That's nice. And then we leave. We have to unclutter. Let's, uh, let's see. oh, we're doing good. Let's see. Let's look at John, back at John in chapter 5. So earlier Jesus asked his new followers, what do you want? That's his starting point. In other words, do you really want me as the centerpiece, or are you just trying to get a bunch of other stuff because I am the source for everything? So let's say you and I are sitting here today, and we're saying, okay, I'm in. Jesus is Lord. I want to follow Jesus. Beautiful. What does that mean? Can Jesus really teach us how to think like him as well as teach us how to act like him? We know the Bible teaches us, like, what to do, what not to do, you know, like, how to behave and things like that. Can it teach us how to act? And he does. We can have the mind of Christ. He gives us a glimpse every once in a while. once in a while, of what his mindset is. In, in John chapter 5, he's in the middle of a conversation with the Pharisees about uh, his right to heal on the Sabbath. They're upset because he does stuff on the Sabbath. So here he says, Jesus gave him the answer. He said, very truly, I tell you, the Son, he's talking about himself, can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. How simple is that? Do you think Jesus lived with a simplicity of soul, of focus? Do you think he felt chaotic inside? No. Jesus says, here's what I'm thinking about. You want to know what I'm thinking about? What I'm focused on? How I live life? He starts every morning with, hey, God, what are you doing today? what are you doing today? Because that's what I want to do. I want to partner with you and do that. Father, what are you doing today? I want to partner with you and do that. What are you doing? Because, see, God's always at work around us, right? He's always at work. He's always with us. His presence is always with us. So God, what are you doing? Let's do that. I want my will to be aligned with your will. Simplicity. I want my will to be aligned with your will. Simplicity simplicity. Hey, God, I don't want to focus on anything else. How can I participate every day? That's how Jesus lived. That's how he lived. So how can we trust God to have our best in mind, right? Because some of you might be thinking, I don't know if I can really surrender my entire self, my entire day, my entire will to God. I mean, maybe 40%. Maybe I'm doing really good. I'm going to give him 80%. Right, but I need to reserve for myself, you know, twenty percent for fun, or relaxation, or whatever that is. You know, time off, or you know, my my business goals. I need to reserve twenty percent there because I don't know if Jesus is really going to be into that. Right. So, how can we trust God enough to give Him one hundred percent and know that He's not going to neglect us and leave us with this life without any fun? How did How did Jesus trust the Father? This much, verse 20, for the Father, this is Jesus still talking, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. God shows me what he does, so I'm happy to participate. Why? Because I know he loves me. This is the motivation. This is how this is able to happen, because Jesus knows the Father loves him. It's his mindset. He's walking around knowing God's loving, God loves him, and he's going to show him the next right step, right? What a beautiful, simple way of living. What a beautiful, simple way of living. I hope you're getting this this morning. Now, it's not a matter of, well, I got my religious life, you know, so that's good over here. And I got my family life, you know, I got to do that stuff. And then I got my work life, you know, I got to go do that stuff. And then my school life, and then I got my fun, my recreation life, right? It's just all the Jesus life. Now it's the Jesus life, Right? He is the center of all these things I do. I bring him with me. I go to where he is, right? He is always with me, and I do all these things. I do family. I do work. I do school. I do fun because God wants us to do well in these things in right measure, right, and to enjoy them. But he guides us. He guides us. He's always there. And, but now it's simplicity. It's all for God. It's all for God. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing as unto the Lord, I don't have 20% that I, well, I can't really do that unto the Lord, can I? No, no, no. Everything I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do is unto the Lord. I can do this unto God, right? If you flip over a chapter to, to John 6, Jesus fleshes this out a little more. Jesus says this in uh, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. God, what are you doing? What do you want? I want to do that. Simplicity of focus, see? He goes on in verse 40, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up in the last day. So my father's will, he loves me, right? He loves people, he cares about their life. So I can feel confident in this. My father wants to see everybody get saved. I can trust that every day is a good day when I live with this focus. Every day is a good every day is a day free of confusion, free of that divided self, right? Why? Because God loves me. I know God loves me. And he wants what's best for others and for me. Now if we started each day, if we lived each moment saying, hey God, what are you doing today? Let's do it together. Hey God, what are you What are you up to today? I want in. If we started every day with that singularity of focus, right? That's that's, that's pretty cool. So, how do we put this into practice? How do we put this into practice? Here's the thing. Little caveat. If, if we don't honestly believe that Jesus is the source of our joy, our rest, our fun. If Jesus for you is just, that's just work. That's like coming to church and they're going to ask me to volunteer in the nursery. That's what Jesus is to me, right? Now, if that's what Jesus is to you, so, you know, we want to follow Jesus, but we also keep something on the side, you know, the fun bits. We keep the fun bits on the side. Well, what happens is now the fun bits are now divorced from Jesus and his influence. See what I'm saying? So we got that over here. And, and so what that makes for is we, 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 it's easier for us to do unhealthy things, sinful things, or to do things, uh, to overdose in an unhealthy measure on things, right? Right? Whether it be what we eat, what we drink, where we go, the relationships we're a part of, the media, the arts that we partake of. See, because we've got this part separated from Jesus and his influence. He's not informing me on how to do this stuff because I've got a, this wall of attention here, right? It's over here. And that's how we, we head down a path where for us fun just becomes the sinful place in our life that we keep separated from our good spiritual life. and this is the way a lot of people live right and, and I've lived that way before too I, you know I, I've tried to have you know the ch- church life, the public life, and then the sinful life. I don't want Jesus over here right I've, I've tried that, and it's chaotic, and it's not only. Sinful, it's unhealthy, right? So how do we begin to align everything to Christ? You ready? Ready? All right, this is going to be good. One way we do this is through liturgy. Wait a minute, what? What the, what? Uh, some of you, are you're zipping up that Bible right now. You are at this door. Hold on, hold on. When I say the word liturgy, I knew, I knew this was going to shock some of you. When I say the word liturgy, what do you think of? Like, what do you think of? Like religious stuff, right? You think of this? (laughs) The little smoke show? Right? You think of like rituals, traditions, routines, customs, and things like that That's liturgy. Uh, You know, a lot of people wearing very impressive robes, speaking some Latin here and there. Which robes? That would kind of be cool. I mean, come on. All right. You throw in some incense, things like that. Lots of of gold on the stage, right? Kind of a mix of the Vatican and TBN, right? Liturgy. The word liturgy, actually, is this beautiful Greek word. Did you know it's in the scriptures? It's in the scripture. Liturgy, liturgia, literally means... The work of the people. The work of the people. What liturgy is, and the way it was used in scripture, it is when people gather together to accomplish something together that they can't do by themselves. When we gather together to accomplish something that just doesn't work by ourselves. Isn't that interesting? Liturgia. The Apostle Paul mentions this concept in his letter to the Corinthians. When he's talking about how they pool their resources, he pulls their resources together, and they're able to accomplish more than they can through individual generosity, which is also good. But when they pool the resources, that's, that's why the, the local church is so important. We're able to reach out and do things in Africa and India and Guatemala and all these places because we pool our, we pool, pool our resources, right? So we can accomplish so much more. That's, that's like a liturgy. So that's, uh, and, and we can work together. So we can turn to liturgy, which is a practice that we do together, and that includes uh, things that, that includes also things that we do by ourselves But because we want to take this into our alone time. But when you're just trying to figure it out on your own, how many of you know it just doesn't work? When you're just doing things all by yourself, it doesn't work. You need the accountability of others. You need the encouragement of knowing you're not walking alone. This is why home groups are so important. I encourage you to be in a home life group. The encouragement of knowing you're not walking alone. And so we're going to look at something today, uh, to close up here, when, that we can, do, we can do it when we are by ourselves, but we're still doing it together as a community. We're all doing it together. We're going to be encouraging one another, and we'll talk about this some more in home life. But here's your homework. You ready? Here it is. Here's your, your liturgy. It's very simple. Start the day with Jesus. Very simple. Start the day with Jesus. Now, we've talked about something like this before, setting aside time in your morning or in your some other time of day to have a devotion with Jesus, right, Uh, to talk to him, to to meditate, to pray. But this week, I just want to push that back a little bit to the first waking moments of your day. This is the important part of this, the first waking moments, that first, maybe it's for you, it's five or ten minutes when you wake up. Make him your first thoughts. Some of you, if you're like me, what do we do? What do you do when you wake up? What's the first thing you reach for? Phone, right? Yes. Being honest, thank you, sister. You reach for the phone. I do. I, I, I grab a phone. I mean, it's, I don't kiss my wife. I grab the phone. Right? How have you been? Oh, <laughs> missed you all night long. Oh, you're all charged up. <laughs> right? Yeah. We reach the phone. So we check email, we check news, Twitter, social media, whatever it is you do. So, so even before you go to the bathroom, that's what you do. Some of you, you do both of those at the same time because you can multitask, right? So you take it into the bathroom. <laughs> Others, you might have a different routine, but, or maybe you just lie there and think about your day. How many of you just, you, your first thing, you, you wake up and you think about what has to be done today, kind of you're mentally making the list. I need to do that, I got that thing. I'm going to have to grab breakfast fast because we got to get to here. Yeah. So you begin to process your, your day when you sit in there. Before any of that, though, this week, it's just seven days. Just this week. right? And you never have to do this again. <laughs> this week, every day, set your daily alarm ten minutes early. Just ten minutes early. For some of you, that just means don't hit snooze. There's your ten minutes. Just don't hit snooze. You've got... Ten minutes, just gifted to you. And rather than reaching for your phone to check on social media, news, email, whatever, reach for your Bible. Reach for your Bible. And I'm going to give you two little verses to look at. It's John chapter 5, 19 and 20. We, We read them today. It's when Jesus says, when he says, what do I do? I just do what God's doing. I just do what God's doing. Why? Because he loves me. So I can trust him that much. I can trust That I can give him everything because I know he loves me. God's not going to take advantage of me. He loves me. He loves me. So I can give him 100%. I can give him everything. God's not going to tell me to leave my family. God's not going to tell me to quit my job and don't pay the bills. Right? You can trust him. God's not going to tell me I never want you to have fun again. You're all done, you're done with fun. Right? God's not going to do that. I can trust him because he loves me. And so you're going to read this scripture and you're going to meditate on it. And then what you're going to do is you're going to pray. And you only have to pray for a, few, a couple minutes here. You just pray that Jesus Christ leads you this day. Lord, lead me like this. Lord, you said we could have the mind of Christ lead me in this. I want to have your mind today. So, God, I want to see what you're doing. Open my eyes to be aware of it. I want to see what you're doing today. Help me to be aware of what's going on. Don't let me walk right by what you're doing. I want to partner with you in what you're doing. Help me, Lord, to see your delight in my kids so I can delight in my kids more. Help me to see your delight in my family so I can delight in my family or my spouse so I can delight in them more. Help me to see your delight in that stranger that I pass by, right? So that I can see how precious they are. So that I can have singularity of focus, simplicity. I want to I see your light, Lord. Show me your delight in me so that I can know how much you love me. Show me how much you enjoy me so that I can find more joy in things and not walk around feeling condemned all day long. Show me your delight. I want to see things like you see. I want to know what you're up to today. See, that is simple-minded. It's singular focus. It's pretty simple too, right? We haven't asked you to go to Bible school or anything like that. It's really simple. What's God's doing right now, although Bible school is really good. You should go to Bible school. Yes. Bruce and Hilde, you have an excellent Bible school. You should join it. But what is God doing right now? It's a simple thing you can do. I want to do that with him. That's it. That's your homework. That's it, right? Start the day every day with this, and we're going to do it together, right? It'll be a liturgy. It'll be our liturgy. Um, Now, let's get something out of the way right now on this quest that we have to declutter our souls and have the mind of Christ. Are you going to make Christ 100% of your day perfectly every time? Probably not. It's okay. Probably not. Let's just admit up front, we're going to do this imperfectly because we do everything imperfectly. Because last I checked, it, 100% of us in this room are human beings. We do it all imperfectly, but you know what? We still do it. We still do it. So when it comes to discipleship, and this is really what we're learning about here is discipleship. There's going to be days where you get to the end of the day and you're like, I think I got this wrong. I was trying to do what Jesus did today. I think I got it wrong, and that's okay. You don't go, man, I'm such a loser, right? I tried something, and I got it wrong. I, I, I guess there's just no use trying. That's what we don't want to do, okay? So you're not going to do everything perfectly. What you do is you get better through practice. That is discipleship. Discipleship is getting better through practice. I once heard a definition of discipleship. And this kind of changed my life a little bit, not to build it up too much, but it's really stuck with me. It might resonate with some of you. It more or less went something like this. Discipleship is stepping out to do what you can currently do so that eventually you can do what you cannot currently do. That's discipleship. Stepping out to do what you can currently do so that eventually you you can do what you cannot currently do. It's not learning more stuff. It's doing. And it's doing what you can do. Right? In other words, there are times that you and I, are, we read the teachings of Jesus. Let's just be honest. We read the teachings of Jesus, we see his example, and we go, This is a high calling. That's what the disciples said one time. This is tough stuff, Lord. I can't do this. I mean, trust in God completely. He told us never to worry. Never worry. How many of you got there yet? Yeah. Anybody never worrying? Some of you, maybe. See, that, that's tough. You might be thinking, man, I am too stressed out for that level of peace. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or, or love my enemy. I can't love my enemy the way Jesus says love your enemy. Maybe that enemy, he, he wasn't so bad, but that one? No, we're not there yet turn the other cheek? Forgiveness? Do you know what they did? Forgiveness? Are you kidding? It's too much. I can't do that. That's too much. And so what do we do? I can't be a disciple. That's for other people. No, no, no. Maybe that's true. Maybe you can't. You can't do that. And maybe just one more sermon of someone telling you, well, this is what Jesus said, so you should do it. Is not suddenly and miraculously going to make you have the ability to do it. Because hearing and learning is not discipleship. Hearing this message today is not discipleship. You understand? You're getting information. What you gonna do with it, right? It's not discipleship. You suddenly don't have the ability to do any of this, right? Discipleship says, okay, what can I do? What can I do? So I wanna start following my Lord. What can I do? I'm going to start doing the things that I can do. And those things begin to train me. They start to train. And eventually, I can do the things that I cannot currently do. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's a beautiful thing. And then you do what you can do. And eventually, you keep doing things that you can't currently do. I promise you this. As you begin to do the things that you can do, you'll experience real, authentic growth in 2017. You want to grow in 2017? Do you want to grow in 2017? Spiritually? Yeah, yeah, okay. You're going to experience growth. You're going, I promise you, if you do this, you will become more Christ-like in 2017. You do what you can currently do so that eventually you can do what you cannot currently do. And you say, God, I know you love me, it's having simplicity of thought god i know you love me what are you doing today what are you doing today i want to do it together let's pray thank you, jesus i thank you god for i thank you for your patience lord and i thank you that you love us You love us still more than, than we get. Most of us still don't really understand how much you love us. I thank you, Lord, you're bringing us there this year. I thank you, Lord, you're going to show us what you're up to in our lives Open our eyes to the miracles happening all around us, Lord God. We chase big miracles and we're asking for big miracles all the time, Lord God, but you are doing things every single moment that we completely ignore. So forgive us of that and open our eyes. Open our eyes. Help us to be aware of what you are doing. Show us what you're doing today. Little by little, help us to trust you more. Show us your face, Lord God. We want to get to know you better so that we can trust you more, discover your will for our lives. That's what we want, Lord. We want to be your disciples. And we want to make more disciples. We want to be part of the joy of the earth. Father God, we want to be part of what you're doing. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Those in this room who have a good, healthy understanding of your love, who, who know you, they have a good relationship with you, Lord God, they're spending time with you every day. I thank you, Lord God. Just help them to take it that next step and to get up and make their first thoughts. Help us to have our first thoughts be, what are you doing today, Lord? I want to do it with you. Those of you who, who aren't even there yet, Lord God, we're still kind of dis- discovering you, wondering you know, what you're all about. Take us there, Father God. Show us what we can do right now to to get on the road to follow our Jesus. Show us, Lord God. And those of us here today, Lord God, who really don't know you yet, we don't know your love. We don't know how much you love other people and how much you love us. We've just heard of this angry God. Lord, show us the real you. Convict our hearts. Create a hunger in our hearts, Lord God, so that we desire you because that's what we were created for. We want to live with that simplicity of focus, Lord, that simplicity, that peace. Be singularly focused. We don't want to have a divided mind. We thank you, Lord God, that as we do this, you will continue to show us the next right step. We trust you. We don't see all the steps, but we trust you that you will show us the next right step to take in our lives and in our church. May your name be praised. Enable us to help make your name famous in this community, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're going to do in Spring, Texas, through Generations Church in 2017. We thank you, Lord God, you are making us the people and you're bringing us the people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Well, thank you guys. I held you a little long today, but uh, I I think this this was good. And it was good for us, and hopefully it didn't taste as bad as kale, but it was good for us. All right, we've got prayer partners up here. If there's anything that you you need to start the year off with some prayer, you need somebody to stand with you in faith and uh, pray with you, you need God's hand to move in your life, you need some change, come up here and let these prayer partners pray with you. And uh, other than that, we will see you at home groups, uh, home life this week, and then we'll see you Sunday. Bye-bye. <gasps>